Hello, and welcome to Runway Girl Network In Conversation, a deep dive into aviation and the passenger experience. I'm RGN Deputy Editor John Walton, and today I'm in conversation with John Morris, founder of wheelchairtravel.org. This episode, we're talking about travellers with disabilities, how airlines are serving them, and how the industry can improve. But first, thanks to our sponsor. In Conversation is brought to you by Bolteron, a Simona company, purveyor of high-performance thermoplastics for tomorrow's aircraft interiors. With new and groundbreaking innovations in design capabilities, Bolteron offers airlines the ability to customise the cabin with lightweight materials, with metallic effects, translucent decorative panels with unique embedded patterns, dynamic textures, vibrant pearlescence, and much more. Learn more at boltaron.com. Now, John, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. It's great to be here with you. So first off, tell us a little bit about how wheelchairtravel.org came about. Sure. Um, You know, obviously, uh, I have a disability. I use a wheelchair. And as I began traveling the world with my wheelchair, I realized that there was a lack of information about accessible travel. Uh, So I saw an opportunity to create a website and began sharing a little bit about what I was learning uh, flying uh, all over the world. And uh, it's really grown, uh, I think, in part because of the incredible demand uh, that people with disabilities are showing in in experiencing uh, travel vacations. Absolutely. And of course, it's not just vacations, it's business travel as well. And um, what I found really interesting reading through wheelchairtravel.org is that quite a lot of the newer seats that we see um, are actually, especially in business class, are not especially accessible. I mean, I understand that you had some issues recently with the Cato Airways Q suite. Is that right? That's right. Uh, I have only very recently flown Q-suites for the first time, and and unfortunately it did not impress from an accessibility standpoint. Um, One of the interesting things I found was that the seats that uh, the airline has listed on its own seat map as being the accessible ones are actually the least accessible of the seat offerings. Uh, The seat is blocked entirely by an immovable wall. Uh, There's no way to transfer a passenger from the aisle chair uh, to the seat itself using the full lift method, uh, which is taught uh, to all of the assistance contractors uh, here in the United States and, and around the world. I see. So how do you, how do you get around that? What, what was the, what was the solution? Well, you know, I am uh, much uh, more capable physically in, in adjusting myself, I think, than the majority of my readers. Uh, I am just a triple amputee uh, and maintain, you know, control of all, uh, all parts of my body. Uh, whereas many of my readers uh, are suffering uh, from other conditions such as paralysis where they don't quite have the control uh, that I might. And so uh, transferring into the seat uh, was was a little easier for me than I think for the typical uh, wheelchair user. Mm-hmm. In- interesting, interesting stuff. Um, let's, let's take a, a step back. When you're preparing to travel as a wheelchair user, what are some of the things that you have to take into account in your planning process that able-bodied travelers might not necessarily need to need to take into account? 
Well, if I if I back this out even beyond aviation, um, every aspect of the travel experience has to be planned uh, from, you know, how I'm getting uh, to the airport, uh, the hotel that I'm staying in, uh, what my options will be for accessible ground transportation, uh, the types of activities that will be accessible, uh, you know, will the hotel room meet my needs? Uh, all of these things are considerations uh, for a person with a disability who would like to travel that may uh, may not require a whole lot of thought uh, by, you know, my able-bodied friends or peers uh, who can just uh, go online and book any hotel and call up an Uber, uh, you know, to get around or to a meeting. So uh, there's quite a bit more that goes into making sure that every aspect of the travel ribbon, so to speak, uh, will be wheelchair accessible. Okay, yeah, and and you know one of the things that I'm that I'm seeing a lot is that um, there are some very strong thoughts about ride hailing services like Uber and Lyft, um, which in some ways do offer uh, accessible options, but in some ways are not required to do so. Is that correct? Well, there's quite a bit of a debate as to whether or not uh, here in the United States, Uber and Lyft are transportation companies or technology companies. And so that would play uh, a very important factor into whether or not, uh, you know, the, the, the services would be required to provide wheelchair accessible vehicles. Uh, but there has been some good news in cities like um, Washington, D.C., I've been able to find uh, quite a bit of wheelchair-accessible Uber vehicles uh, to get around. And so that's ex- extremely welcome. Uh, taxis are one of the biggest challenges uh, that people with disabilities face, uh, not just travelers, but people living in their local communities. Absolutely. Now, when you book a ticket, uh, what are some of the things that you need to do in addition or differently to uh, an able-bodied passenger? Can you use the same uh, website booking path or do they shunt you off into please telephone for your needs? Uh, or does it vary between all the airlines? It definitely varies uh, by the airline. Um, I think uh, my, my number one airline is American Airlines and they've made it uh, very easy to request uh, special assistance services during the booking process. Uh, they also follow up uh, with a call uh, to the passenger to confirm their needs and provide additional information, uh, which I think is incredibly valuable and uh, a good example for other airlines to follow. What specifically is it that, that American does differently to those other airlines? Is it the, the easy booking side of things? Is it the follow-up phone call? Well, I think the follow-up phone call is indeed uh, rare. Uh, It's not something I've experienced on too many other carriers, but American uh, follows that practice uh, religiously, uh, I would say. Uh, It's very rare uh, in all of my bookings uh, for me to uh, fail to receive one of these calls. Uh, Some of the information that's discussed Uh, is actually quite important, such as uh, the dimensions of the cargo hold to accommodate power wheelchairs, such as the one uh, that I use. Uh, Many many travelers are not aware of these uh, limitations and constraints, so it's uh, it's very uh, helpful for them to 
to be given that information in advance of travel. Absolutely. So, okay, so you've booked your flight, you've got to the airport. What does your journey through the airport look like in terms of an experience? Well, you know, I am uh, a very frequent flyer, so I've uh, I've sort of gotten this down to a science. Uh, uh, if you recall the uh, Up in the Air movie and the ways that uh, Ryan Bingham made it through the airport in security, uh, that's very much what my experience looks like. Of course, I have, uh, you know, I benefit from, from services such as TSA PreCheck, which really speeds up uh, the screening experience, allows me to keep things in my bag and get through with an expedited uh, personal screening and screening of my, my own wheelchair. Uh, but I think the average traveler, depending on their disability, may be connecting with an assistance uh, staff member right at the check-in station. And so uh, these experiences uh, in airport security and and uh, getting to the gate and through check-in and all of these things uh, vary based on uh, the individual's own physical abilities and, and uh, special assistance needs. I, I see. What a, I guess if you were trying to, to explain the the, the best of all worlds outcome for, for, for a disabled passenger versus the worst of all uh, world outcome, especially at the airport and sort of between check-in security and getting to the gate. What, what are some of the, the range of experiences that, that people uh, commonly have? Well, I think that uh, one of the biggest challenges that airlines are facing right now is uh, this incredible growth in the amount of people with disabilities who are traveling and availing themselves of the special assistance services that are designed uh, to sort of level the playing field, so to speak, in air travel, making it accessible to everyone. So one of the things that I hear about commonly and also experience myself uh, during the boarding process, for example, is uh, staff just not being available to provide that special assistance because they're all busy and attached uh, at that moment to other passengers who are, uh, you know, going through their journey at the airport. Uh, so uh, there's quite a bit of demand for this accessible services. And uh, in, in a lot of cases, people are having to wait extended periods of time uh, in order to, to take advantage of it. Yes, I was I was speaking with a uh, a fellow journalist who occasionally needs wheelchair assistance. She has a um, a joint condition, which means that sometimes she's able to walk and sometimes not. Um, and she has a, a lot of criticism in terms of the way that um, she'll often be just dumped at the gate hours in advance of her flight with with no uh, no option of, for example, going to a lounge if she has lounge access. Is that something that you experience as well? Well, I travel with my own power wheelchair, so I am able to maintain my independence throughout the journey. Uh, but in some airports, uh, I'll have difficulty getting my own wheelchair returned to me. Uh, I sort of had an experience like this uh, just a, a few weeks ago in Chile, uh, where my wheelchair uh, was not returned to me during a five-hour layover. And so I was, uh, you know, at the at the mercy of the assistance staff uh, who essentially pushed me to the lounge and left me there uh, until my flight. Uh, that's not a good experience for everyone. 
Uh, in the U.S., we say that no passenger should be left unattended for more than 30 minutes. Uh, and I think that uh, while that's a great standard, uh, it's not always adhered to. Uh, and passengers are, are left behind with nowhere to go. Um, and that's a that's a real challenge uh, and can detract from the, the travel experience. Yeah, I, mean, I, I guess so. So you, you roll away through security in your powered chair, get yourself to the gate. Um, at what point do, does the airline take control of your, of your wheelchair and how do they treat it? What's the, what's the process there? Sure. Uh, well, my wheelchair is very heavy. It weighs 400 pounds, uh, so it's a significant piece of equipment. I turn it over at the door of the aircraft, so I roll it down to the jet bridge where I transfer into the aisle chair to board the aircraft. Uh, at that point, uh, my wheelchair is taken down to the ramp, uh, depending on the aircraft type, either loaded directly into the cargo hold or uh, placed into a cargo container uh, for, for safekeeping. Um, and uh, then hopefully, if everything goes well, I'll be reconnected with it at the uh, arrival airport uh, with the wheelchair being in the same condition in which I turned it over. Uh, of course, that doesn't always happen. So, okay, so, so what, what, what are some of the things that can happen to a wheelchair in, in flight? Is it a, um, it's not secured properly, so it gets shaken around? Absolutely. Uh, also, training uh, in the way that, that wheelchairs are handled in the loading process itself or removing it from the cargo hold. Uh, I've seen wheelchairs, uh, my own included, uh, being tipped on their backs and sides, uh, uh, dropped. Uh, I've had uh, one wheelchair totaled uh, in all of my flights over these past uh, six years as a uh, wheelchair traveler. Um, but yeah, the, these, uh, these devices, uh, are not, uh, are they, well, they're, they're very critical in the mobility and independence of people with disabilities. And so when they're damaged, uh, not only will, you know, the, the passenger have to dedicate some time and effort to seeing through the repairs, uh, but it also could, uh, restrict their mobility, uh, you know, for the coming days or, or weeks, uh, in some cases. Um, so you're you're there at the jetway. Um, do you transfer then to an aisle chair to to be taken on board the aircraft? Is that how that works? I do, I do. Um, that uh, the aisle chair is uh, is not comfortable, but it's an absolute necessity uh, at this point in, in terms of getting on the aircraft uh, in an accessible manner. Okay, and so do you, do you find that? So, so the armchair goes with you onto the aircraft and remains on the aircraft. Um, it, does it? Is, it? is that correct? So uh, typically the aisle chair is uh, provided for boarding by the airport itself. Uh, certain aircraft uh, have an onboard uh, aisle chair that is stored uh, on the aircraft. That would only be utilized uh, in the case of needing to go to the lavatory uh, during the course of the flight, uh, but generally it's it's the airport's equipment uh, that is used uh, during the, the the boarding process. Okay, I see. Um, and is it correct that uh, in terms of uh, using the lavatory, the only aircraft required to have 
uh, uh, lavatory accessible by disabled people are the wide-body aircraft. That that is correct, um, and that uh, I think is one of my greatest criticisms of air travel, um, because uh, narrow-body aircraft are being used on uh, longer flights uh, every day. Uh, I've uh, had uh, I, I've flown across the Atlantic uh, to to Europe from the U.S. Uh, on a, a seven thirty seven Max eight. Uh, but I, you know, I also fly cross country pretty frequently on narrow body aircraft. Uh, so six, seven hours of time, uh, spent without access, uh, access to a bathroom is pretty significant. Uh, of course that happens, uh, you know, we, we measure that by the flight time, but also, uh, you know, the time that I've been away from the toilet in, in pre-boarding the aircraft and then waiting for assistance, uh, on arrival. Um, so these, uh, these, these periods of time without access, uh, to an accessible toilet can be quite, uh, quite excessive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you're, you're quite right. We keep seeing, um, you know, with the A320, Neo and seventy seven Max families, these narrow body aircraft really turning into into long haul flight machines. Um, and so that is, that's something to, to 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 really for the industry to look at. I think. What's your take on um convertible laboratories uh, such as Airbus's Spaceflex, where two small labs at the rear of the aircraft can be converted into one that is at least marked for for people with reduced mobility. Sure. Uh, well, I think uh, there are two versions right now of SpaceFlex, uh, version one and, and version two. Uh, I think version one is great, uh, but uh, version two uh, is, is really, I think, an accident waiting to happen uh, because it uses a tip-up transfer seat uh, to, to aid the passenger in getting from the aisle chair uh, to the toilet. Uh, I, I don't think that that's particularly safe. It's not something that I would personally, uh, like to, like to try. Um, but version one is much more accessible and that it allows a direct transfer from the aisle chair to the toilet, uh, in the lavatory. And I think that, that that is very important. Of course, these convertible lavatories, uh, have, have existed, uh, uh, for many years, and in fact, uh, many of the accessible lavatories used on wide-body aircraft uh, are actually uh, uh, convertible in that they combine two standard-sized lavatories into a larger space uh, by collapsing, uh, for instance, the wall between uh, these these two lavatories to to double the space and and double the number of toilets. Uh, but to provide that necessary room uh, for a person to, to maneuver in the aisle chair and, and also to be able to get assistance from, uh, you know, their, their travel companion or uh, care assistant. Uh, so, so I think, uh, you know, anything that we can do to improve the accessibility of the lavatory uh, on airplanes is, is a positive step forward. Uh, but I'd like to make sure that that the, the options that we're using uh, have the, the adequate amount of space and allow for a safe transfer of the individual to the toilet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that, that's really interesting. I, I hadn't quite appreciated the issues that that tip-up seat could cause. Um, 
So uh, have you taken a look at any of the, the other options that have been proposed, for example, the, um, the sorry, I was about to say Bombardier C series there, the Airbus A220's uh, rear lavatory, um, which is uh, also billed as, as PRM uh, capable. Is, is that something that you've, you've experienced yourself? So I have not flown on the aircraft yet. Uh, I hope to. Um, but based on the photographs that I've seen and the descriptions and measurements, uh, it looks to be a positive step forward. Um, ideally, the transfer space uh, would allow you know the individual uh, to pull up directly alongside the toilet and perform a side-to-side transfer um, to the toilet. Uh, that's not possible uh, with the A220's toilet. But uh, it's still much more accessible than, for instance, uh, SpaceFlex uh, version two. Um, so you know, I think uh, I think it's a it's a it's a great development. Uh, certainly, we haven't seen an accessible lavatory on an aircraft so small before, um, and uh, you know, I really applaud uh, that 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 direction um, that that Airbus and Bombardier. Uh, and the airlines who are installing it are taking. Yeah, no, I, me, me too. I was uh, interested to see last year at the Farnborough Air Show uh, that Bombardier is also uh, advertising PRM uh, accessible lavatories in the smaller CRJ series. That's that's something that that, that I think sounds like a, a a real benefit for people who are using those smaller aircraft. Right. Uh, I think uh, in the next week I'll be on two CRJs, so I would welcome that as well. Um, but, you know, I, I'm starting now to see, uh, you know, in the U.S. market, CRJs used on on flights uh, of about three hours. And, and, of course, that's a significant amount of time where, um, you know, I see so many other able-bodied uh, passengers uh, taking uh, advantage uh, of the lavatory. Um, and so I think that, that people with disabilities should have that opportunity as well. No, absolutely. How does boarding and deboarding work with a powered wheelchair for something like a CRJ, which might not be on a, on a jet bridge? So uh, there are a couple different ways. Uh, in, in some cases, uh, there, are, there are very long ramps that are used uh, to, to access the aircraft. There are also... Um, in cases where stairs are used for able-bodied passengers, there is a lift that uh, lifts the passenger uh, in the aisle chair uh, up to the door of the aircraft. And, uh, of course, uh, this also happens uh, stair boarding with much larger aircraft at, at airports all around the world. Uh, you know, perhaps uh, you're, you're on a, a 777 and, uh, you know, get a remote gate. Um, at, at London Heathrow, um, uh, and so in that case, uh, uh, lifts, which are essentially catering trucks with a wheelchair lift on them, are used uh, to, to help people with disabilities uh, get off of the aircraft or, or, or board it in a, in a barrier-free manner. Okay, I see. So, um, so, so how does that work? Do you... Does the truck pull up to a to a gate in the airport, or is it uh, is, does the ambulance mean that it you, you are taken down to ground level and put onto the truck and then uh, disgorged from the truck onto the aircraft? How does that 
What's the right, answer? right. So, so it's the latter. Uh, typically, uh, depending on the airport, uh, the the passenger is, is led down uh, to the ramp level. Uh, you know, you take an elevator down um, and uh, and board the truck uh, using uh, a lift uh, up from ground level to to the truck itself, and uh, and then ride the truck to the plane uh, like a catering truck. The the uh, the ambulift will adjust its height to be level, uh, typically with uh, with uh, door one uh, R or two R, um, and and the passenger will will then be led into the aircraft. Okay, and and is, just out of interest, is that the same for an A three eighty? Would you be lifted up to the second level of an A three eighty? Is that how that would work? Uh, so I have never uh, used uh, an ambulift to board an A380. Uh, in fact, uh, one time, I, my my very first flight uh, on the A380 was with China Southern from Amsterdam to Beijing, and uh, the the aircraft was parked at a gate uh, not optimized uh, for the A380. And there was no way to get me to the second level of the aircraft, so uh, I can't uh, I can't be certain uh, whether or not uh, there there was an ambulift capable of of accessing the A380 uh, at uh, Amsterdam, but but I'm fairly certain uh, that that these types of vehicles do exist uh, somewhere. Right, but again, it's it's as you were saying earlier, it's a matter of them being. Uh, there at the right time for 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 each passenger um thinking sort of thinking about the the different ways in which airlines um get passengers with disabilities onto the aircraft and and without wanting to ask you to to pass judgment on behalf of all wheelchair users everywhere because of course there will be many many individual differences in in passenger needs and requirements is the one way that's better or worse than another for people with disabilities what's what would be your ideal way of boarding and disboarding the aircraft well i think that uh, all of these technologies that are in use have a place somewhere at every airport uh um you know obviously if i'm boarding a, a crj uh which which i'll do later tonight uh there there are many aircraft or, or many airports uh, where where jet bridges are not available for for all of the uh, smaller aircraft types, uh, and so I think that in those cases we should employ ramps. Um, in uh, the case uh, of uh, you know a, a you know major aircraft like a uh, you know a seven thirty seven or a three thirty for instance. Uh, the jet bridge, I think, is the most dignified way uh, to board the aircraft uh, because the passenger can can take their own personal wheelchair directly to the the door of the aircraft a- and access it uh, using the aisle chair. Uh, but there are also cases where the ambulift is necessary in airports where. Uh, jet bridges are not available, or or, or remote gates are um, are a necessity. Uh, so I think that that all of these technologies have a role to play. But at the same time, you know, when I arrive 
say, uh, into Miami airport and, and, uh, you know, have a, have a jet bridge, uh, to use, I think that an Ambulift might also be helpful in more quickly returning my wheelchair. Uh, it can be used to, to bring the, the, the gate checked wheelchair, uh, directly up to the aircraft. So there are many, uh, different use cases, uh, for all of this technology that should be considered. And I think that, that an airport um, that is truly accessible uh, to people with disabilities will have all of these technologies available um, so that the needs of the passenger uh, and also of the airline can be taken into account. And, and and are they? I mean, if 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 you say, for example, um, if if you are aware that a jet bridge is likely to be used, and that you know uh, on the other end it would be more convenient or faster if there was an ambulift to bring your personal chair up from from the you know, I'm I'm assuming that they bring the ambulift round, they wheel the chair out from the cargo zone and put it straight on, and it goes straight up to to a door on the right hand side of the aircraft. Do do you have any way of of making that happen as a disabled passenger, or do you just have to sort of hit and hope with the airlines? Well, you know, I, I've learned to, you know, I, I always request what I want, and I feel like I rarely get it. So uh, in that sense, uh, I think people with disabilities uh, don't uh, ha- have uh, the ability to, to make demands of an airline or, or of an airport to, to provision uh, services for them in a certain way. But I think that, uh, you know, making suggestions sometimes uh, can work out. I, I think a, a very good example of sort of uh, an airport that, that can or has the ability to do what is best for the passenger uh, is, is London Heathrow, where, where I connect through and, and fly to uh, quite a bit. Uh, you know, for instance, if I'm, if I'm flying in from New York on an international flight, I'll have to, to make my way to, to immigration, uh, and and clear that to, to enter the UK. Um, but oftentimes, uh, the, the path through the airport to immigration, uh, can be, uh, incredibly lengthy. So whether a passenger is rolling themselves in their own manual wheelchair uh, or power wheelchair, or being used uh, or assisted uh, to, to immigration and customs uh, by by a staff member, uh, that that can be a, a very lengthy process. So what's often happened on my arrival, even at a even at a jet bridge uh, gate at London Heathrow, is that an ambulift has also been provisioned to one more quickly connect me with my my wheelchair that uh, traveled in the cargo hold, and then also to to expedite my arrival um, at uh, at immigration. Uh, so you know, ride the riding the ambulift uh, around the airport uh, to to the appropriate uh, entry point uh, closest to immigration uh, is much more efficient and faster. Uh, that then rolling uh, through the lengths of the airport. And so I think that while there is a lot of criticism of uh, the treatment of passengers with disabilities at Heathrow, uh, there's still so many uh, examples of them doing the right thing as well. Um, so it's, I think it's always possible uh, to prioritize uh, the needs of the passenger. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, does does that normally happen at Terminal Three for you, or is it more Terminal Five or or Terminal uh, Terminal Two, or what? What's the terminals that you're normally using there? Uh, so I primarily my experience with Heathrow has been three and five, um, but uh, I've also used four on occasion. Uh, it uh, it just really depends. Uh, obviously, now I'm primarily one world. Uh, but there were there was a time uh, when I was a, a Sky Team flyer, uh, so that uh, that changed things up quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's return to the to the onboard experience. Um, we were talking earlier about good seats versus bad seats, um, especially on the business class side of things. What are some of the products that you find are particularly good versus particularly bad in terms of providing the accessibility that that you need in order to to transfer? to and from the aisle chair to your seat? So I, I self-transfer from the aisle chair to my seat in, in nearly all cases. And so I, uh, you know, my favorite business class seat uh, design is the reverse herringbone uh, because I think it provides a little bit of privacy and it's also fairly easy for me to transfer into under my own power and uh, it has direct dial access, uh, so I don't have to contend with other passengers. But at the same time, uh, a lot of my uh, readers who are lifted into their seats uh, with the assistance of uh, uh, airport contractors or airline uh, assistance teams uh, find the reverse herringbone to be uh, very inaccessible in that, uh, you know, the shell that goes around the seat uh, and provides uh, passengers with a little bit of privacy can also be a barrier uh, in, in executing that safe transfer. Um, one, of the, one of the seat designs, uh, and, and I'm embarrassed that I don't know the, the, the name or manufacturer of this seat, uh, but uh, we know that 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 Qatar is uh, replacing uh, their business class seats with Q suites across the fleet, uh, and the seat uh, in a two 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 configuration that has existed on their triple sevens is one of the most highly rated seats for accessibility among my readers because uh, it is uh, it, it it provides an opportunity for a safe lateral transfer from the aisle chair into the seat uh, with no uh, no barriers, no sweet doors, walls, uh, shell to contend with. Uh, it's just a side-to-side -side transfer, uh, whether you're being lifted or doing it on your own. Uh, it's an incredibly accessible experience. And, uh, of course, you sacrifice direct aisle access in some cases, uh, for instance, if you have a window seat, uh, but I really think that, that that seat design is the most accessible that I've seen to this point. Yeah, that, that's the Rockwell Collins, I'm sorry, the Collins Aerospace um, uh, minipod seat. Um, and that is, as you say, it's one of the ones that is, is falling from use because of its lack of directile access. Um, but in, in, in terms of, you know, obviously we have designers and airlines uh, listening to this. So the, the lateral side-to-side -side access is important. Is, it, is that, is that a, a, a general rule? Well, you know, it's, it's, I think it's very important. Um, 
because it allows uh, a passenger to transfer safely. Uh, it also allows the assistance teams to execute a lift transfer uh, safely. These, these transfers where someone is being lifted from the aisle chair into their seat uh, occurs with, with an individual placing uh, their arms uh, underneath the arms of the passenger and someone in the front uh, lifting uh, from beneath the legs. Uh, and so seats that, that are in a, a you know, a, even a reverse herringbone design uh, make it very difficult uh, to, for, for the assistance teams to, to maintain uh, a safe hold of the passenger who they, they're attempting to transfer. Uh, and then, of course, Q-suites, uh, I, I really uh, think that, that such a transfer would just be impossible uh, I, I don't see anywhere, uh, any way uh, that, that that transfer could be executed in that seat design. And, and quite frankly, uh, I'm just surprised that more thought uh, was not put into, into accessibility there. Interesting. Interesting. Have you had experience with some of the staggered products? Um, so the Thompson Vantage style products, Thompson Vantage, Vantage XL, um, the, the Sky Lounge, uh, the, the um, uh, Saffron seats, formerly Zodiac Sky Lounge that Emirates uses on its uh, A380s, um, the Stellia Solstice, that, that kind of thing where you have um, some seats that are closer to the aisle, which are you know, often billed as the ones that are accessible, and then there are some that are over uh, the sort of footwell from the aisle. Right, right. Uh, it's a very common seat design going back uh, many years, for instance, on the 767s. Uh, um, and I, I found that uh, seat as well to be, to be very uh, accessible uh, in allowing for uh, a safe transfer uh, in most cases. Of course, the, the footwell uh, and, and the seat in front... Uh, um, reduces some of the space that staff have to work in executing that transfer. And it's something that's not a problem uh, on those on those seats on the, the, the old uh, Qatar triple uh, seven seat. Uh, I, I've also found it on other carriers as well. Uh, most most recently Latam uh, on their seven eight seven. But yeah, I think that uh, I think it's certainly an improvement uh, for accessibility over, over seats, uh, th that are angled in some fashion. Um, and, and then of course, we also haven't talked about, uh, the standard herringbone seats, uh, which, which are still flying on, on quite a few airlines, uh, and, and which, uh, don't really offer, uh, any way, uh, for, for passengers to safely transfer. Yeah. Yeah, the sort of um, the old Delta Triple Seven, the Virgin Atlantics, um, the old Air Canada style of seats, because the seat is so far away from the aisle um, that that it's it's the the maneuvering is 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 complex there. Yeah, it's it's it, John. This has been really fascinating because um, you know obviously we talk quite a lot about the increasing densification of a lot of cabins. Um, to your mind, what's as as a frequent flyer and as somebody who who travels frequently with disabilities, what's what should airlines be doing here? Is it that they need to um, ensure that 
do, they, do they just need to take more thought when designing to design out things like um, uh, fixed privacy shells? Um, is it about making sure that perhaps one row of the seats, um, in the same way that one row is a bassinet row, one row is a row without um, barriers, that kind of thing? What, 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 are the, what are the best options here? Well, I think that uh, I'll use Q-Suites again as an example. I think that there was a real opportunity for them to, uh, at least in, in a number of seats, to, to provide a feature for the wall to, to be able to be folded away um, or, or removed temporarily uh, to allow a passenger to transfer into the seat. Um, I, I really, quite frankly, when I got on the aircraft and I spoke with all of the crew who had been, ha had been working now with Q suites for, for, uh, many months, uh, that there was no such feature. And, and that really shocked me. I think that, that there are a few things that, that passengers with disabilities are looking for and, and particularly passengers with disabilities who use wheelchairs for their mobility, um, they want seats that are easy to transfer into, um, accessible lavatories, movable uh, armrests uh, at the aisle of seats, uh, wider aisles. Um, all of these things contribute uh, to the uh, accessibility of the aircraft cabin. And uh, I also I think that many of these things uh, can be provided uh, without uh, much sacrifice in the way of density, um, there are, are new technologies uh, that are coming out. Uh, accessible lavatories, as we've seen, are fitting in smaller and smaller spaces. Uh, and, and there are also uh, many accessible seating options on the market as well. So I, I don't think that it has to be an either-or in the sense of uh, creating an accessible environment for uh, disabled passengers, uh, or maintaining the airline's bottom line. Uh, in fact, I, I reject that that idea uh, wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah, interesting. John, thank you so much for, for joining us today. That That is it for today's conversation. Listeners, we certainly hope you enjoyed it, and we're always keen to find out what you think. Please feel free to email me at john at runwaygirlnetwork.com with any suggestions. Thanks also to our guest, John Morris. John, tell us where folks can find you online. Uh, you can find me at wheelchairtravel.org, and uh, all of my uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is linked from there. So uh, check out my site. Fantastic. And as ever, you can find me on Twitter at ThatJohn, everything from RGN on Twitter at RunwayGirl, and of course at RunwayGirlNetwork.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening. <laughs>